Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with my partner on the podcast series, Who Not How, and this is Ben Hardy. I'm in Toronto, and Ben is in Orlando, Florida. Ben, you know, we've come up with a lot of very, very interesting ideas as the concept of Who Not How has been used by entrepreneurs, but one of the insights that came up, and we're actually developing an idea on this, is the whole notion that if you're an entrepreneur and you practice who, not how, so just to give you the basics here, that all entrepreneurs have goals for something bigger and better, but the moment they have the bigger and better goal and they're excited about it, suddenly they're confronted with a problem that it calls for them to do hows, one, that they don't know how to do, or number two, they just wouldn't like this type of activity and they wouldn't be good at it. So they procrastinate in going forward on their goals or they use willpower, I know, <laughs> to force themselves to actually go through a period of discomfort <laughs> to get to the goal. And even if they achieve it, almost all the good energy that could have had by achieving the goal is dissipated because they hate the process of going through it. So what we say is not wanting to do the how is actually a jumping point for making great progress as an entrepreneur because a inner wisdom is telling you it's a wonderful goal and it's going to be good for everybody, but you're not the person who should actually do this. And you should just define what needs to be done and then find a who. And that who loves the activity and they would love to do this for you. And that's how an entrepreneur goes from being a rugged, isolated, single employer, you know, self-employed person to actually creating a company. So we call this who, not how. And it's one of those concepts, Ben, and I'll let you respond to it because I can remember the day that I told you about this. It's one of those ideas that entrepreneurs especially just totally get. They get it in an instant, you know, who, not how. We're not talking about delegation here. We're saying this is a bigger goal. Everybody's going to really, really benefit from this. But I am not the who who does the how. I'm going to find another who to do the how. Yeah. Yeah. And the first time I heard this, it made so much sense. The challenge, and I think that this is something that you have an enormous amount of insight on, Dan, is there's different challenges that people face in actually applying this at the different levels. Like you've identified multiple levels of who, not how. One is obviously hiring potential initial employees, you know what I mean? To start taking care of things so that you can operate in your unique ability. But then there's the higher levels where you're collaborating with people and going into the free zone frontiers. And so I guess my first question, you know, just to go back and forth with you on this is, I know that you've actually identified all of the reasons why people would not apply who, not how. You even have like this list of whether they're abundant thinking or whether they're mm -hmm. scarcity minded, but what really stops people from doing this? Maybe let's just start at the first stage. Like when someone's first starting a business and they're that rugged individualist, why would they not apply who, not how? Well, the biggest thing for someone who's just started a business, they just don't have the money to hire someone else. It's really interesting because when you talk them through on this, you find out that they have some very, very unrealistic notions of what it would take to actually hire somebody. They say, well, that would like cost me $30,000 to do that. And I just don't have the $30,000. And I says, oh, so when you hire someone, you give them the $30,000 up front? <laughs> you give it to them all at once? <laughs> yeah, I said, so is that how you hire someone? No, he said, no, 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 every two weeks. So I said, oh, you get to 
spread it out over 26 payments, okay? <clears throat> and they said, well, yeah. And I said, and how many payments in would you know whether it was a good investment or a bad investment? You know, and they said, well, you know, I don't know. It says in my jurisdiction in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., you got three months where it's no fault. Three months, it's just not working. You can just cut it. So, you know, it's maybe seven or eight, and you don't have to wait three months to get rid of them if they're not a good investment. I mean, we've hired people on a Monday, and they were gone by Friday. So we gave them a week's pay, and that was it. So the other thing is that goes along with this, they won't do it as well as I do it. They just won't do it as well as I do. I know how to do this, and it's going to be more bothered to tell them how to do it than to actually have them do it, and they just won't do it. And I said, well, then you want to hire somebody who the reason why you would hire them is because you're not good at this. Okay. Yeah. What do you mean I'm not good at it? And he says, well, I've done it. And I said, yeah, but you don't enjoy it and you dread it and you procrastinate on it. So that tells me you're no good at it because if you were really good at it, really skillful, it would actually give you a lot of energy and you would enjoy it. So the mere fact that you don't like the activity tells me, number one, that you can force yourself to go through this activity, but naturally you would never choose it. But you could find someone out there that they were born and put on this planet to actually do this type of activity. This would be a huge opportunity for them to do it. But not only that, they're 10 times better at than you are. So you're talking about 30,000, but the value of them, because they love it and they can't get enough of it, might be 300,000 in the first year. So you make a $30,000 investment and you get 300,000. And the reason is that you would get freed up now, not only from the activity itself, but you would have the confidence that for the rest of your entrepreneurial life, you will never again have to do this activity. Totally. So all of a sudden they say, oh man, wow, that's really great. And then they say, but if I got freed up, what would I do? <laughs> and I said, well, do you have any goals? I mean, do you naturally think of goals or did you just have one goal and that's to start your own business and be kind of miserable for the rest of your life, you know, because you have to do activities you don't like. So there's a lot of psychology, and Ben, I know this is your specialty, and you just got your doctorate in psychology from Clemson University, national champion, NCAA champion. But this relates to a lot of different areas of life, not just entrepreneurism. There's other people who, who also have goals, Immediately when they get excited about the goal, they get depressed because it's going to require them to do a how. And so this is not just an entrepreneurial skill. This is a human skill. This is a human skill. We'll talk just a little bit because the education system says that this is how you have to do it. Could you talk a little bit about the educational system? Yeah, I'll talk that about The that. education is about... The education system is all about hows, right? Hows, yeah. The education is all about hows. As a matter of fact, if you bring in a who to help you with a how, and the educational system is called cheating. Yeah, exactly. I was taught, because I just finished my PhD, you know, that I have to be good at everything. I've got to be good at writing. I've got to be good at statistics. I've got to be good at publishing. Like, actually, one of my professors during my undergrad, he got kicked out of his because you have to go through the tenure process. 
he got kicked out of his department because he was publishing too much because he was too entrepreneurial. He would only do the certain things that he was good at and he would get people who are really good at stats and stuff. And it turned out that he was publishing about 10 times as much as the other professors and they were jealous of him. So they kicked him out because he was doing the who not how process and it was really successful. But in the academic environment, they don't like that. And so they kicked him out. (laughs) Another thought that I had though, Dan, about the initial phases of hiring you brought up the idea that if you make the investment of, let's just say, 30000 you almost immediately, if you've hired the right person, probably got 10 times the value out. And you'll see that fast. But there's another concept which I think is really powerful motivationally, and it's something that's helped me, is that when you hire someone, like in the book Willpower Doesn't Work, I brought up a concept called forcing function. It's basically this idea that you put something in place and immediately it cranks up your motivation. So, for example, if someone wants to run a marathon signing up for the marathon, like actually putting money down and signing up immediately makes it real. So then all of a sudden you feel like you got to do it. If you hire someone and now you're paying them money, all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I've got to focus because now someone's, you know, but people don't get those motivational benefits of doing that if they don't actually just pull the trigger. Yeah. And one of the things that's really interesting is people say, first of all, they think of it as a cost. Okay. And I said, well, Actually, you doing something that you don't like is actually the biggest cost in your company. Because here's the thing, Ben, it's not just the time when you're doing something you don't like. There's actually 10 times more activity before that when you are dreading actually doing the thing that you don't like doing. I call it dread time. And generally speaking, when you really hate an activity and it's ahead of you, you will actually use up 10 times more energy and time thinking about, oh, I got to do this really bad thing than it actually takes to get done. I mean, if there was an unpleasant thing in the next moment you got into it, that would be one thing. But the fact is, you don't get into it, and then you force yourself to do it, and you're dreading it, and you're not concentrating, you're not learning, you're not being effective in any of the other work that you're actually doing. But the big thing is that I said, you know, the 30000 into the person, you're actually not investing in the person, you're investing in you, because what you're saying, if I set aside 30000 and free myself up from doing an activity that I hate doing, am I good enough that I could turn that $30,000 into $300,000? In other words, I'm so confident about my skills if I'm freed up that if I use 30,000 to free myself up significantly, not just they're always going to do this, but I'm never going to have to do this for the rest of my life. So it's a lifetime benefit. It's not just a momentary or a short-term benefit. It's actually a lifetime benefit, but it's in me. So I was just looking at our growths because this is our 30th year of the Strategic Coach Program. The first year... We made, of course, of the year, somewhere around in 1989, 1990, it was about $200,000, which translated forward to today, it was probably about $400,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. And it was the greatest year we ever had. Babs, Babs is my great lifetime partner, and we're married, and you know we have a great partnership. But her whole focus is, Dan, I just want you doing the things that you're doing. So today, 
This is our 30th year, and I would say I spend 95% of my year just in three activities that I'm really great at and I really love, and they bring in big money. And we're 225 times what we were in the best year we ever had. And it's just all the constant adding of who's who do house that other people don't like. You know, and this is what we teach in Strategic Coach. And when I look at really great business models out in the world, this is what Steve Jobs did. I'm sure Jeff Bezos, this is the same principle that he used. I used to have a line that had to do with Frank Sinatra, who was still alive at that time. I said, you know the secret to the success of Frank Sinatra? I said, Frank Sinatra doesn't move pianos. Exactly. I mean, one of the things I really like about what you're saying is a mindset shift for people. I mean, right now, and I don't know our time, but where you're at right now, Dan, as far as your level of confidence versus where you were at 30 years ago because of the system that you've created around yourself. I mean, it took a lot of courageous leaps, mm-hmm. you know, to get to the point where you're at your level of confidence. But you've built up this confidence to say, I'm wanting and believe I can go this big. And so, you know, you mentioned the idea that people don't think that they can do it. But from a psychological perspective, when you actually make an investment, whether it be in an employee or whether it be in some form of relationship or education, what that behavior does, because it's usually forward focused, you're behaving in the way that your future self, um, there's actually a lot of research right now talking about the difference between your current self and your future self and about how you should view them as fundamentally different people. Mm -hmm. Most people view their future self as like the same person, but it's healthy for decision-making to say me right now and me five years from now are totally different people. Mm And then you respect the fact that that future self is a different person. And so then you begin acting like the different self. That's what upgrades your subconscious and that's what upgrades your confidence. And so what I like about what you're saying is if you begin making these bold moves, even if it's just to hire a first employee or or to begin building out these who's, what those behaviors do and then the system you're creating around yourself is it literally ups your subconscious. It, It creates this higher level of confidence because I think the two are kind of the same. Your subconscious mind or whatever and your confidence are pretty much the same thing. But you've got to make those behaviors to do it. Well, one question I have, so it's been, I guess, about two years since you first heard the concept we were at. It's actually only been about a year and maybe like a year and a half, maybe or less. Okay, year and a half. So we were at Genius Network, Joe Polish's marvelous (laughs) marketing mastermind. And I just went up to the whiteboard and I just sketched this on the whiteboard. And there's a great graphic with it. And for those of you who want to get the book, you can download it on Kindle. It's a very small book. It takes about an hour to read it, and it's got wonderful cartoons, and it's got a two-hour audio, and it's got a 45-minute video with it. But I know you took this immediately because you were up against the gun finishing your PhD thesis, and that's kind of grueling work, isn't it? I mean, it's not something that I'm the who to do these days. Yeah, you're not a who. <laughs> so how did you think about that? Because I think you really accelerated something that you felt that you had to do, but then because you had this new insight yeah. that there was a how to be done here, but you didn't necessarily have to be the how to actually do it. Because yeah. this is universal. Everybody who's listening to this podcast has something in their life where they're up against a wall because they believe that they're the only person who can possibly do this. How? But what's important is that the result gets done, and it really doesn't matter who does it. 
No, I mean, there's so much crazy science behind what you're talking about, Dan. I mean, if you think about dread time, for example, the amount of dread time that people put towards activities that they hate, your emotional level as a human being is what attracts back to you where you're at. And so if you're spending most of your time in a low level emotional state, then you're going to attract bad results back into your life and relationships. So if you upgrade your emotional state to these higher levels of abundance in this who level thinking, you're going to become so much more successful. But when I first started thinking about who not how, when I first heard Dan say this, the reason why people like who not how so much is because it's a simple mindset that immediately flips, at least people like me who are how thinkers, it literally flips your world upside down and it says, oh my gosh, this is so much more simple. So what ended up happening for me just as far as in the last year, just a few things that I've done to apply who, not how. I got to the point in my PhD where it was all but the dissertation. My business had started growing. I'd already become a best-selling author and like I was already making pretty good money and it didn't feel like I needed to do this, but I felt like I wanted to. And I was at a point where motivationally, it was all willpower. I didn't want to do it anymore. There was no more intrinsic motivation to do this thing. It was all willpower. And when you're doing stuff with willpower, it's really costly emotionally. So when I heard his concept, I'm like, well, why don't I just look online and see if I can hire a stats consultant who's really good at this stuff I don't want to do? And there was tons of them. They were all over the place. All these PhDs and statistics, and all I had to do was work with one of them for a few weeks. And I was able to do something that would have taken me a really long time to do, but it immediately eliminated about a year's worth of dread time. I spent a year dreading something that then I hired someone to do. But even recently with my book, I'm in the middle of writing another book, which is now pretty much done. But One of the really cool principles that I've learned, Dan, is that when you hire who's or when you collaborate with who's that are way better than you at what you do, it blows your confidence up. So like you Mm -hmm. and I, we know Tucker Max. Tucker's a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. He owns a company, Scribe. He's a four-time New York Times bestselling author. He's sold millions of books. I was totally stuck on my book that I've been writing because my editor for my publishing house is not a developmental editor. He's just an acquiring editor. He just buys books. And so he had no clue how to help me with my book for almost a year. And then I'm like, okay, I need help. And so we bring Tucker Max in and Tucker edited my book with me. In the space of three weeks, I wrote my entire book and going back and forth with a who who's way better than me at writing. Tucker is an enormously better writer than me. And getting my book edited and getting my thoughts edited by someone who's much better than me, my writing I mean, you could even ask Tucker because he edited chapter by chapter. He's like, oh my gosh, Ben, you've become such a better writer in the last three weeks. And it's like crazy what it did to my confidence. When you begin collaborating with the right who's, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the work became fun. Like this is the most fun I've had writing. And the book got done in three weeks, which I've been dreading for almost a year because I had no who to help me through this hard project. So it's just crazy how fast things can accelerate and how fun life gets. Because that's one of the things you talk about is it accelerates your energy and it accelerates results. It's amazing. Okay, stop torturing the listeners here. What's the name of the book? Oh, Personality Isn't Permanent. Yeah, Personality Is Not Permanent. Yeah, Personality Isn't Permanent. Yeah, the book's going to come out next year. but Yeah, yeah, and I just want to tell somebody that there was a route to the who, not how idea because I have a great podcast on another topic, and it was actually on procrastination, because I've noticed that my idea, and it led to the who, not how, was that when we procrastinate, it's actually a very profound, deep wisdom. Totally. Not based on the project at hand, it suddenly collects a wisdom of all the things in your life that it wasn't sensible for you to do, and all that painful experience is being focused on, they say, from all your past experience, this is not a project for you, and that's why you procrastinate. 
because your wisdom from your past experience. But the way the world talks about procrastination is that it's a character flaw, it's a moral failing, you know, you're lacking in stick to and everything else. But, you know, there were times in history where there wasn't enough available hands, and if there was work to be done, you had to do it. I worked on a farm, and I'm totally unsuited for farm work, but you were a farm family, and you had to do the farm work. I think that actually when you're young, doing a lot of things you don't like doing is very instrumental in actually getting you to identify what you really like. So I, I don't believe that people should go through their life without things that they don't like. Because in order to know what yes is, you have to know what no is. To know what winning is, you have to experience what failure is so that you have a proper reference. But Dean Jackson, who is a great, great marketer, he's a great thinker. And Dean, actually, we were in our procrastination podcast and he says, you know something, I think the key here is I don't wanna do the how, and I've got to find a who. And, you know, I immediately captured it. I had a picture and no time and everything else. So Dean is really the starter for this. But the one thing about Tucker, and we have to be forthcoming here on our podcast, this podcast is actually an instrumental process that we're doing to actually write a book, which is called Who Not How. And we're also going to have Tucker Max as a- He's a big who on the project. A who on the project. So we're going to develop it as three who's. And each of us is going to do the who that's appropriate for us. And I mean, eventually this thing, because of the size of the goal, the ambition of the goal on this book, there's going to be obviously be a lot of who's that are involved on this. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. One last thought. Maybe we should yep. save it for the next episode. Yeah. Let's just wrap up what, even on this podcast, you've seen something different about your thinking about who, not how. Because I always learn on every podcast. I start the podcast with a clear idea what I'm going to do, but I noticed that the idea just got expanded simply because of the interaction that we have on the podcast. Yeah. So just one thing that's gotten real clear as we're talking about this. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think for me, the big thing that came clear to me is is that the results I'm currently getting in my life and in my business are a reflection of my willingness to who. <laughs> and that a lot of people are willing to deal with huge amounts of procrastination and dread time because they've got low confidence and they've just got low willingness to create amazing results in their life. And so the more you become committed to amazing results in your life, the more that you're going to start whoing so that you can get the results faster yeah. and the less you're going to be willing to sit and dread your life away. Yeah, That's what's really hit me on this one, Dan. Well, and I've got a second dimension. I have often noticed that when I'm in a state of dread, I attract the most dreadful people into my life. <laughs> Totally, yeah, because your energy attracts the same energy of other people, right? Yeah, they said there's a soulmate right there. (laughs) Let's be sad together. Let's be frustrated together. (laughs) Okay, so this is Ben Hardy, and this is Dan Sullivan, and this is another episode of Who Not How. Try this. All you need is a goal for something bigger and better. You will immediately be excited, and then you will be confronted with hows that are required to do that, and you're not the one to do the how, you find a who to do that. 